and then let me test and just see if I can advance them. Yep, I'm, I've got it. So it's clicking through with me. Let me just try it from up front, make sure we're good. But yeah, that'll work. So I just leave it off until I need it. And then if you get me to that first slide, we're good. Uh huh. I won't do anything until I get on slate on stage. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. That should work fine. Right. 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 Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much. I'll this morning's reading is from the book of Galatians, chapter five, verses sixteen through 25. That's Galatians 5, starting at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Pastor Jeff is finishing up his vacation time, so we have a guest speaker this morning. Ray Keene has been the executive director of the Canby Center for almost the past three years. Our church is a financial supporter of the Canby Center through our mission outreach. Ray and his wife, Rachel, and his three kids are a delightful addition to our community here in Canby. Please welcome Ray this morning to Bethany Church. Thank you, Leslie. <laughs> It is really good to be with you all this morning. Um, you have a wonderful pastor. I can tell you that. I get to pray with Jeff on a regular basis. We meet with some other pastors, and um, I just know he has a heart for you. He has a heart for the Lord and a heart for the Word of God, and I'm grateful for him. I remember when I, when I first... Uh, was introducing that process of him coming, I think I gave you some admonitions. And the word on the street is that you've done well in welcoming Jeff and Robin and their family. So thank you for doing that. 
that is so, so important. You are a big part of his success in ministry as you uh, just draw that family in and welcome them in. Um, that's a good thing. Okay, I want to share with you a few things about the Canby Center this morning before we dive into our message. And the first is that about two years ago or so, I think I asked for your help with purchasing of a new refrigerator for our kitchen at the Canby Center. You know, that process kind of got us thinking about the entire kitchen. And over the last uh, six months, seven months or so, we have been working on remodeling the entire kitchen at the Canby Center, and it is so, so much better than what it once was. Uh, when, when we looked at it, you know, the, the window that we serve food through was kind of a pass-through window, sort of a soup kitchen. And um, I really wanted that to be a more relational space, and so we, we tried to open up that wall and make more uh, space for people to have conversation. We worked on some things like new flooring. Uh, the old flooring had tiles that were coming up off the floor and they were kind of peeling away. Uh, our dishwasher didn't work. Now we have a functioning dishwasher and it is truly a blessing. Not only so, but we've been able to work on the rest of the center also. We've changed all the lighting throughout the entire center. We've painted almost every room inside and painted the building on the outside. It's kind of been a whole remodel. If you haven't come by the Canby Center recently, I would love to have you come by. I see Carolyn here who serves with the Canby Center on a weekly basis. Thank you, Carolyn, for your service. Carolyn's been able to watch that progress. And she was with us in those days when there was a hole in the kitchen and piles of dirt on the floor and, and dust everywhere. And now we're on the other side of most of that, aren't we? It's a blessing. So thank you for being a part of that. Um, I want to share with you also about a new program at the Canby Center called Thriving Together. It is exciting to see. Um, that number up there is actually about a week old. We now have 157 families who have signed up for this program. And the program involves a few key pieces. The first is that the families would set some goals as a family that we can help them walk through and achieve. They also commit to uh, volunteering one hour per month as a family at the Canby Center and giving back to other families. We think that's an important part to help renew dignity for people who may be struggling with life. And then lastly, um, the participants in this new program are required to take a finance class within one year of being on the program. I just heard from a lady uh, a couple weeks ago who came to me and said, you know, Ray, that class we took recently was so helpful for my family. My husband doesn't like it yet, but I've been tucking away a little bit of money every month for our emergency savings like you taught us about, and it has taken the pressure off of us. And she was really grateful. So just simple steps. I wanted you to know about that because you're a part of that. Um, and I am so, so excited for the progress and the blessing that this will bring to families who come to the Canby Center. And lastly, I want to tell you a little bit about what's been happening with food at the Canby Center. In 2016, 51,000 pounds of food was donated to the Canby Center, which is amazing. In 2017, we more than doubled that number to 118,000 pounds of food. So far, just this year in 2018, from January until now, 157,000 pounds of food has been given. So we passed already halfway through the year where we were last year. I think it's possible this year we could actually double or triple the amount of food that was given in 2017. 
God has been providing food, and people in the community who need that food have been coming to the Canby Center. If you come by on a Tuesday morning and you see what happens with our Harvest Share program, or on a first or third Saturday of the month and you watch what happens with the Saturday food pantry, you're going to see a full parking lot. You're going to see a room filled with food and filled with families who can use that food. We're actually getting to a place where we're struggling with capacity a little bit. And one of those pieces is just being able to transport the food. Right now, we have volunteers who go out and they pick up this food in their trucks. But when it's refrigerated food, that's not the best. So we need to be able to pick up food that's refrigerated, transport it back to the Canby Center. I think of one partner over at Costco in Wilsonville who would love to be sending us more food, more of their produce, that kind of stuff, but they need to be able to send it along in a refrigerated unit. And so my vision is for this van uh, to be a part of the Canby Center. I really want to see that happen in 2018. So far, uh, $28,000 has been given toward the project. We've got about 26 to go. If you want to be a part of that, I just welcome you to participate in that. You could give through the church here for that or uh, directly to the Canby Center. And uh, if you have questions about it, I'd love to tell you more. But it is an exciting thing to see that there are people who are willing to step up and not only participate in helping get food out to people, but to give it when a farmer has extra food or to provide that for other people is really a good thing. We just want to reduce the the problem areas or the bottlenecks, and one of them for us is transportation. So we are working on that at the Canby Center. So thank you for letting, letting me share just an update with you about some of the things that are taking place. It's an exciting time for the Canby Center. It's a little daunting and overwhelming at times, but it is so, so good to see. Um, God's doing some amazing stuff there. Okay, I want to share with you this morning from God's word, but as we just lead into that, I want to take a minute and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your spirit is here with us, that your presence is here in our midst. We thank you that uh, even as we talk about the fruit of the spirit today, those characteristics, those traits that mark who you are, that those can be a part of our lives and mark who we are so that we are seen as yours, and that that would be a blessing, that there would be much fruit that uh, is available to others around us, in our families, in our friendships, in our community. Uh, We pray that you would meet with us now and direct this time in Christ's name. Amen. You know, my father, Frank, passed away when I was three years old. And uh, there were several people in my life who kind of filled that place of a father figure in my life, but a few of those were my uncles, uh, my mother's brothers. And I think of Tut and my Aunt Cheryl, who took me into their home for four years when I was in high school. And they really just loved on me and gave me everything I needed for those four years. They were a big, big help. I think of uh, my my Uncle John, who lived out in Utah at the time, and didn't have a lot of time with John, but he was also a part of that image of what a father looks like, what a man looks like. And then I think of my Uncle Joel. Now, Joel was always sort of the black sheep of the family. Joel was the youngest of my mom's siblings, and um, she always called him the baby of the family. But my Uncle Joel never looked like a baby to me. I mean, I think he went out of his way to not look like a baby. 
whenever we went to family gatherings, you know, several times a year for different things, Joel was always the one who loaded up the back of his truck and brought a trailer along and had motorcycles and ATVs and boats. He was the one who had all the toys, you know. I remember going to Joel's house when we were young kids and you know, when we played with a slip and slide at my house, it was always that little 10-foot long thing that was about this wide, and you kind of tried to stay on it. You could have, you sort of got going, but uh, Joel got like a sheet of visqueen, and he laid that thing out over his entire front yard. I mean, it had to be like 30 feet wide and 100 feet long, and he'd spray it down and put soap on it and then let the kids go crazy. I mean, that was Joel. He would, uh, back in the 70s, he would take and pull motorcycle engines out of street racing bikes and put them into three-wheelers so that he could race guys at the sand dunes. That was Joel. And then he moved on to boats, and he'd put blown engines, these big horsepower motors, into these boats, and he would race guys, drag race guys, on the lakes. It's crazy. My, uh, my other aunts and uncles, um, you know, they kind of got together at one point and bought him a parachute for his boat because they were worried he was going to kill himself. Joel, to me, when I was a young kid growing up, Joel looked like he had everything that you'd want in life. Joel was kind of a ladies' man. Joel would, if he saw something he wanted, he would just kind of go and take it. He, he sort of was freewheeling, you know. It seemed like he didn't have a care in the world. He did a lot of drugs in the 70s and 80s, too. Probably drank too much. I remember a few times where I saw that. But, you know, as time has gone along, and I've kind of watched his life, he's now in a probably early 70s, and uh, I think about Joel now, and I go, you know, I love my Uncle Joel, but there are parts of his life I just, I don't want anymore, not in the same way. I've watched how, you know, fast cars, fast boats, fast women in his life have resulted in broken relationships, a broken back. Lots of surgeries, divorce, pain and strife amongst his kids at times. And I, I just don't want that for my life in the same way I did when I was a young man. The things that I look at in my life now as a father myself and as I raise my kids, the thing that I want and the thing that I need in my life is the fruit of the Spirit. Love. That I would love my wife that I would love my family, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that I need in my life. Those are the things that I pray for when I'm going into meetings that I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Those are the things I pray for when I'm having a conversation with someone that seems to be turning sideways. That's what I need in my life. So what is the fruit of the Spirit? We heard about them this morning in Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. The fruit of the Spirit, these nine virtues or characteristics, are produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer as we walk with the Spirit. Some shorten this list by grouping it, and others expand on it. But the list in Galatians 5 is really an excellent list. The fruit of the Spirit is really one of the best indicators that I know of 
to kind of get a sense of how am I really doing. You ever have that sense of where am I right now? How am I really doing in life? What does God think about what I'm doing and how I'm doing right now? Am I experiencing joy? Is there peace in the midst of challenges? Am I loving people? When I ask those questions, it's kind of like a dashboard for my life. You know, on your car, you've got that dashboard with gauges. Just imagine those different gauges. How's your joy meter? How is your peace? How about self-control? How are you doing in your relationship with God? If those things are doing well, and oftentimes there's a unity among them. Notice that in Galatians, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's singular, not plural. And I think the reason is, is that there is a unity among these values and these virtues. As we exercise the fruit of the Spirit and, and I love someone, then joy is a part of my life. It kind of goes hand in hand. If I'm impatient with my wife, it's really hard for me to be expressing love to her also. So they, they kind of are a unified element. And they act as a dashboard in a way for our life. And the nine positive characteristics, as we heard of this morning, they're really sandwiched between a double list, 18, what I would call not fruit of the Spirit, but really almost cancerous fruit. This would be the fruit of our flesh. And those characteristics, those are the things that mark the lives of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the Apostle Paul said. It's not my words, it's what he has to say. And he says, I'm reminding this, I'm reminding you of this. He's obviously told them before, and um, here he is repeating that again. I think it's important, and it bears repeating. As Paul reminds us in other places in the New Testament as well, that People who live for only themselves will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the reality. Judgment awaits them. So I I hope for you, my prayer for you, is that your life is marked by the fruit of the Spirit and not by uh, a desire to pursue things for yourself as an end to yourself. You know, God develops his character in us. He takes what's his own and he imparts that to us. The fruit of the Spirit is not just a list of do's and don'ts for you and I. It's not something that God uh, simply sat on the sideline and thought, wow, you know, it'd be really great if all those people that I made would just love one another. I hope that they would just kind of get that value because things would go a lot better if they loved one another. No, God is love. It originates in him as do all of the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not like God is asking us to do something He doesn't already do. These are the things, these are the characteristics of God Himself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These characteristics mark who God is, and these are the things that we're going to be reading about today little context clarifies Galatians 5. You know, the churches in Galatia were being pulled back to Judaism. They were being pulled back to the law. After hearing about Christ and receiving Christ, they were being encouraged to pursue circumcision and the rest of the law-keeping. And Paul urges them to remember the freedom and righteousness available to them in Christ. 
But then in chapter 5, as we come into this section, he encourages, encourages them and cautions them against using their freedom as a way to indulge their flesh. We need that, don't we, in America? We need that word. Because I think as Christians in America, we're so prone to receive Christ in our moment of need and then kind of go along our way over time and sort of take in certain doses of the world as we go along through our normal course of action. And we're kind of content at times with a certain amount of Christ, but maybe not fully. We want a certain amount of the Holy Spirit in our life, but not too much, not so much that we have to let go of the things of the flesh. But Paul is saying they're not compatible. They really uh, are not compatible. So, fruit of the Spirit. This morning, I want to fix our eyes on Jesus. I want to direct our attention to the fruit of the Spirit as demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ. He is our example. And uh, in the Gospel of John is where we're going to look this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the fourth Gospel. We read about some of these traits in the life of Jesus. John Chapter 1, verse 10 says that he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It's talking about Jesus Christ. The world was made through him. Everything was made through the handiwork of Jesus Christ, but it says the world didn't recognize him. Think about the patience of Jesus in waiting to come and express his love and his care to a world that didn't recognize him. Not only so, verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to the Jews, and they not only didn't receive him, they rejected him and crucified him. The patience in the love that he sought to express is really incredible. It says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, but a, or husband's will, but born of God. Jesus was patient in drawing people, drawing you and me to himself. He's patient in that process. He was also patient as he came and did his earthly ministry. You know, for 30 years, Jesus walked on the earth and mostly limited his ministry to small and subtle interactions with people. It wasn't until uh, a certain event in chapter 2 here at the uh, wedding at Cana in Galilee that Jesus turns the water into wine that his ministry really gets kicked off. And from 30, about 30 to 33, Jesus' primary ministry took place. But Jesus was patient in that process. You remember what it says here, chapter 2, on the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. This is John chapter 2. And when the wine was gone, his mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, why would she do that? Why would she turn to her son and tell him they're out of wine? Like, where's the wine supposed to come from? Jesus can't make wine, can he? Now, I know it's not written down, but my imagination starts to roll. And I can just imagine Jesus around the dinner table occasionally Maybe when there was only perhaps some rice or couscous or beans or something simple, 
And it's like mom turns around in the kitchen and all of a sudden there's kind of a seven-course meal or, you know, an amazing turn of events. Why would she ask him? It says that Mary treasured these things in her heart, a couple places in Scripture. And I think she had some more to tell than what we read about. But Jesus' response to her is, Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. And yet it was on the cusp. And I think in part because of her faith in asking. His mother turned to the servants and said, Do whatever he tells you. So, Jesus turns the water into wine. But Jesus is patient for his ministry to come into fruition. And there are many places in the Gospels where we read about that. We read about his patience. It's not time for me to go, to go up yet to the festival. He's very keenly aware of the timing. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus' love is expressed not only to us, but also his love and devotion is expressed to the Heavenly Father as he walks through a life of knowing that he's going to the cross. He does that out of love. And we're told in Scripture that it was for the joy set before him. Jesus' love is evident. John chapter 4, gentleness. You remember the scene? Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman at the well. And um, they're having this conversation a little bit. Jesus asks her to draw some water for him. And um, then they kind of go on into this conversation. Sir, the woman said, You've done, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? He's telling her about living water. Are you greater than our father, Jacob, and who gave us this well? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't have to come here and keep drawing water. She wasn't quite catching it yet. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I just think that the way that Jesus interacts with her is so gentle here. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And she goes on to ask him some questions and they have a dialogue and interaction about worship. But I just think that this evangelism that Jesus is doing, this way of reaching out to her, is so gentle. He could have really called her on the carpet for her sin, but he doesn't. He brings it to light. And look at her response if you turn the page a little bit further down, verse, th verse 28 of chapter 4. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. See, to her, Jesus understood it all. Could this be the Christ, is her question. She begins to understand who he is because of the way he, in gentleness, touched her place of need. He recognized what was going on in her life. 
you know, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Some of the first fruits in my life were pineapple. That is, they took place in the islands of Hawaii. I remember when I went to Hawaii, this would have been in the early 90s, I bought a one-way plane ticket and I went over and I felt like God had called me to this place and I was to serve. And so on the windward side of Oahu, I got a job at the uh, Ace Hardware there. And I went in and I would work with these guys. Now, the guys that I worked with in the lumberyard there were pretty rough. About half of them were surfers, and when the waves would come up, they really viewed their work as seasonal. So they would be gone. I was shocked and amazed that the supervisors just kind of let it happen. But they'd come back when the waves died down and things got done, and that's how it was. The other half were kind of salty old sailors. And, I mean, these guys were roughneck guys. I mean, I was pretty sure that they were the ones who had put the pinups in the break room that I was trying to avoid every time I went in. These were the guys who swore at, you know, the drop of a hat. And, you know, by the lunch hour uh, at every day that I was working, I felt like I was just grimy from being in the world. And I needed to be with God. I needed to be reminded why I was there. I needed to be refreshed and renewed in the Spirit. And so I would leave work, and I would walk down the street, and there was a KFC, a Kentucky Fried Chicken, and behind there was a dumpster and a kind of a cinder block wall. And I'd hop over the wall, and on the other side of the wall, I would kind of lean my back against the wall, and there was this slough. It wasn't beautiful. It was filled with water. And I would just kind of close my, my eyes and take a few minutes and open the Bible and read a few passages of Scripture. And there were some amazing people and places that I met when I was in Hawaii for a couple of years. But that, that place behind that wall was one of the most special in my life, one of the most special memories, because God met me there. And God began to work into my life there as a young believer, patience and peace and a recognition that I was greatly loved and that because of that, I could go back to my workplace and I could love those men. That I could be patient with them. That I could have peace in the midst of all of the chaos and the temptation and the storm that was there. God begins to work in us the fruit of the Spirit. And it is His work. It's not my own work. So let's take a look a little bit further along here. We can see... You know, uh, in John chapter 5, some of the faithfulness of Jesus come out. John chapter 5, verse 16 says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, that is, he was healing. You know, Jesus did that a lot, kind of liked to heal on the Sabbath. The Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Jesus' faithfulness to the Father in his ministry is unparalleled. 
He never wavered from what he came to do. He never wavered in the way that he was called to do that. In faithfulness, as we read here, he simply walked out what the Heavenly Father had given him to do. Jesus shows us what faithfulness looks like. Perfect faithfulness, actually. How about John chapter 6, verse 35? Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, Jesus had just fed thousands of people, and now he's talking about the need, the hunger, the thirst in their souls. In his goodness, he meets us in our need. In our practical needs, whether it's putting food on the table, I get to see that every week at the Canby Center. Or it's in our spiritual need, our, the needs of our soul, he meets that hunger. If you flip the page a little bit, you can see in John seven thirty-seven, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Jesus is so good to us in providing what is needed. Not only when he left this earth by giving us the Spirit so that we could bear the fruit of the Spirit, but in meeting our practical and tangible needs as well. The goodness of God is evident. Think about kindness when you think about, uh, or excuse me, let's look at um, John chapter 10. One more piece on goodness. John chapter 10 verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He cares for us. He stewards us. He he shepherds us. He watches out for us. Takes care of us. It's a beautiful thing. You know, after 30 years of walking with Jesus, I continue to be regularly frustrated by the lack of fruit in my life. You know, sometimes my life is marked more by fruit that is smelly and rotten. You know, about two weeks ago, my wife came up to me after church and, and had shared with me that my impatience in kind of butting in on a conversation she was having was really kind of hurtful to her. It cut off the conversation. She wasn't able to finish it. And it was so good of her to share that with me so that I can learn and grow. I can be rude, I can be impatient, I can be impure, or I can be frustrated with people so easily. And then I get out of bed in the morning and start my day, and it can get worse from there. (laughs) You ever had days like that? But God desires to work out in me the fruit of His Spirit. 
We talk about justification. When, a, when someone first becomes a believer, there's a process of justification, being made righteous in relationship to God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And then we talk about sanctification, this process that the believer goes through from that point forward until we reach a place of glorification when we are in heaven. This sanctification process in the middle, this living out of life in between is really sometimes pretty messy. It's a mixture, isn't it? It's almost like at times I feel like there's different branches for me that, that grow beautiful fruit and good fruit, and there are other branches that don't. We, we read about that kind of fruit and those kind of branches and that kind of process in John 15. And it's so important that we allow the Heavenly Father and that we work in partnership with the Heavenly Father to allow pruning to take place in our life because there's some stuff that doesn't belong. And that's, I think, what Paul is talking about here. He's saying there's some stuff in your lives that doesn't belong. It's not supposed to be there. And there's some other stuff, there's some other fruit, some other characteristics of who God is that does belong and is good and is lasting. I'm a doer. Some of you are doers here. You know who you are? Doer. I come by it honestly. My father was a doer. Uh, in the 70s, he was one of the first guys to begin working on building fiberglass yachts. He built 70-foot yachts. No one ever showed him how to do it. He kind of figured it out on his own. Um, you know, he used to go on cattle drives. It seemed like anything he put his mind to, he could do. In the Korean War, he was uh, in the habit of providing recommendations to the army about ways that the army could improve. And uh, after enough of that, they, had, uh, they restationed him to a small outpost in Alaska. <laughs> you know, as a doer, I really struggle. I struggle with thinking that if it's going to get done, it's going to get done because I do it. It's going to get done because I get up and I give my labor to it, my effort to it. But some of the most amazing things God has done in my life have been because His Holy Spirit has done a work of bearing fruit. Where I've been able to exercise peace in the midst of a storm. Or where joy carries me through days that are hard. Or where I am able to love far beyond my capacity to love. That's the stuff that's lasting and good. That's more of what I need in my life. Galatians 5 is not the fruit of my labor list. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So if you leave this morning and you think, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, if you leave here and you think this is a to-do list for you, you've misunderstood Paul says, walk in step with the Spirit, and you will not gratify the cravings of the flesh. This is about relationship with God. It's that moment in time of my need back in Hawaii and saying, okay, God, I need you to help me be something far more than I am in and of myself.
It's welcoming, welcoming him in to that part of our life. I want to close off with a few last pieces here. John 13, love. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And do you know what he did? He, he stood up from the dinner table, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he kneeled in front of the disciples. He knelt in front of Peter, who in just a few hours would disown him, would disown that Jesus. He would deny that he even knew him. He kneeled in front of Judas, who would betray him, and he washed his feet. Jesus shows us what love really looks like. John 19, we read about the self-control of Jesus. He's standing before Pilate, about to be crucified. The Jews are outside, and the chief priests and their officials, and they are shouting, Crucify! Crucify! This is John 19, verse 6. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, and Jesus gave him no answer. Self-control. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Self-control. Jesus could have explained the whole deal to him. Could have turned the, the entire set of circumstances around in the conversation. But in self-control, he is patient and he exercises what is needed in order for him to continue to go to the cross, but also express an opportunity to Pilate. It says in verse 28 of chapter 19, later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And you remember they lifted a sponge on a stick to his lips and he drank. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Self-control. Jesus went to the cross willingly. We're told this in other places in scripture. It is remarkable, but this was not just something that others wanted him to do or thought was a good idea. This is something that he himself chose and walked out in. You know, in preparing for this sermon, there are double the amount of scriptures than I have time to share with you. But I just want to close with this last scripture, the last verse of the Gospel of John. John chapter 21, verse 25 said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room to, for the book, uh, room to contain the books that would be written. 
There's so much about the life of Christ that demonstrates to us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So, where do these characteristics come out in Jesus' life? Where do they show up? I think it's amazing when you look at them, they oftentimes come up in his life in points of conflict, tension with the Pharisees or with others, at points of change. Anybody going through change? Change can be a little bit hard. They come in his life at moments of stress as he's going to the cross. The fruit of the Spirit as revealed in the life of Jesus Christ, comes through most clearly in those times of significant challenge and trial and difficulty. And that's true for you, and it's true for me. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't usually grow in our lives when everything's going smooth and easy. The fruit of the Spirit grows in those moments in us when we have sometimes the greatest challenges we've ever faced. So if you're going through it this week, if you are facing challenges you don't know how to overcome, let me encourage you, as Paul does in other places, to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He shows us, he demonstrates to us what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Here's a couple practical takeaways fruit of the Spirit in us starts with a seed of faith. I think it always begins with faith. That is, we can't please God without faith. We we can't really even approach Him unless we believe that He exists and that He is willing to meet us and help us. And so as we trust Him, we exercise faith a little bit in trusting Him, the fruit of the Spirit can grow from that seed. Psalm 1 tells us about how fruit in a person's life is born in season and it comes from being rooted in God's word. I encourage you to read Psalm 1 this week. Be rooted in God's word. It grows. You want something to think about and contemplate and memorize this week? Memorize the fruit of the Spirit. Not too hard to do. Short verse, you can do that. And it's cultivated fruit of the Spirit in us is cultivated by the master gardener. In John 15, we're, t- we're told about the way that fruit grows in us. Jesus says, remain in me as I remain in you, and you will bear much fruit. And he reminds us that the heavenly Father, the master gardener, prunes us at times and cuts off those branches in our lives that don't bear fruit. He cuts off people from heaven who don't bear fruit. So, I hope that your life is filled with fruit-bearing. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus is that He came and He lived a perfect, fruit-filled life. And through faith in Him, you and I can bear fruit in this life as well. And we can bear fruit that lasts for eternity. As we approach Christ, the good news is He forgives us of our sin and He cleanses us 
from the parts that we read about earlier today, all the, the other stuff in our life that crowds in. He's the one who does that work through faith in him. He cleanses and prunes and cuts off that part of our life that doesn't bear fruit. It begins with faith and it continues with faith. I think there's probably some people here today who need peace. What you need is the peace of Christ. There's probably some people here today who need love. You need the lasting love of Jesus Christ in your life. Some need greater self-control. A life walking along with Christ in step with the Spirit is what we need. There isn't another way. There are not other options to bear fruit in your life. It comes through God. If you're here today and you want that kind of fruitfulness to grow in your life, I want to encourage you to come and talk with David, talk with myself after the service. Find Jeff and uh, talk with him as well. There are ways that that can be cultivated, that that fruit can grow as we work in partnership with God. So here's my closing question for you. How is the fruit of the Spirit being formed in me? I want you to think about that this week. And for just a moment, we're going to pause and I'm going to allow God to work in you in answering this question. Think for a minute. How is the fruit of the Spirit being formed in me? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the fruit that you bring into our lives. When we see love and when we experience joy and in the midst of storms, we know your peace. It's exactly what we need. And so we pray that you would help us to walk in step with you. Help us to be in relationship with you so that the fruit that's born in our lives looks so much like you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks, Ray.